Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, we are joined by Andy Wines, the president of Green Up Solutions, an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, a thought leader a military veteran, and it just goes on and on and on. And darn, he looks good in camel pants. Hello, Mr. Wines. Hey, how are you doing, Paul? I am doing fine. Thank you for gracing us with your presence here today. And I got to tell you, I was very excited to have this conversation because when I think of passion, when I think of energy, when I think of individuals that are just totally innovative disruptors, I think of you. And you've got an awful lot of stuff going on. I don't even know where to start. Let's start with this. Every time I turn on social media... There's Andy Wines. Dude, you are everywhere. I guess my question is, what are some of the exciting things that you're up to right now and why should we care about it? No, it's a good question. It seems like every couple of weeks or a couple of months, there's something new that I'm excited about. For me, there's a lot of different endeavors I've, I've got myself into and in a good way. And the latest, and this is something I've been working for 18 months. It's something that I'm very passionate about when it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to the environment. Our latest endeavor is a shock and shield program where we're utilizing UV light technology and an antimicrobial to create and develop hospital-grade protection in everyday environments. So a lot of people don't know it, but my background, my passion is in environmental studies and environmental consulting. That's what I, I love doing the most. And it's something that I haven't really brought to the forefront. And now because what's going on in the world today, because of my background, because of my passion, I'm bringing that to the forefront more and more it's a business and it's a product line I'm deeply passionate about, and it's something we need now more than ever, given the current state of affairs. Yeah, absolutely. What I admire about you, Andy, which I'm hoping you can talk to next, is you've succeeded in creating this cult of personality, which is really not easy to do. I mean, with all of this noise on social media, with these videos and these posts, and it just seems like anybody with a camera is talking about how you should do this and how you should do that to stand out from the crowd, be an innovative thought leader and develop the following like you have is remarkable. So for those individuals listening to this podcast that might be C-suite executive, business owners, entrepreneurs, what advice would you give them on how to create a bulletproof personal brand? First off, there's nothing bulletproof about it, right? When you look on social media, that's the highlight reel. That's the stuff that may or may not have worked. You don't see the stuff that doesn't work you don't sit in, in the meetings that I'm in, you know, sometimes it feels like this highlight reel, but it's twofold. I have a joke that I'll try anything twice. And when you try anything twice and you talk about it and you're bold and you're honest, you're giving it the college try, you put yourself out there. And then the second thing is surround yourself with people that have strengths that complement your strengths. We've been very fortunate in our business where we've been able to bring on a videographer. We've been able to bring on Andrew Zell, who's a photographer. He's an operations guy that happens to love photography. So then it's a question of just documenting. So try all these new things, try different things, and then be bold about them. And also be bold in your successes and in your failures. And so because of that, people then relate to you. And you're not gonna get everybody every time on everything you do, that's not happening. But if you diversify the multiple areas of your life, you'll hit different peoples at different points. And one of the things that I'm very conscious of, social media or when I meet people, is they're like, hey, I know you from this, or I know you from that. And the first question I always ask them is, what is it I said or did that had the greatest impact on you? 
And that's the extent of the market research I do, if you want to call it personal branding. You, know, you say it's bulletproof. It's not bulletproof. I say what resonates with you? Because I can put all this information out there. I can make all the noise. Ultimately, what's most important is how do people change? What actions do they take after you know, hearing or seeing something I did? Because now it's relatable and it's repeatable. And that's what's most interesting to me. And because of that, I hear what people are doing, how people are adapting, and it encourages me to do more. And it also defines who is AFW, because I know who Andy is, and when I put myself out there, it's these different levels, but what do people really relate with? And again, what is repeatable is the key. It's not about what Andy did, it's not about Andy's journey, it's about what I can give and what others can repeat. One of the things that you mentioned, Andy, is something that I subscribe to as well. And if you're on social media, you probably see one of those images of the iceberg yep. where the tip of the iceberg above the water is what everybody sees. And that gigantic 90% of that block of ice under the water is what people just simply do not see. Because you referenced that in your answer, let me go a little deeper with that. Can you describe what you go through that people don't see? Can you describe some of the challenges and struggles that you endure that people don't see? Oh yeah, I love the word struggle. So my life, I talk about is the hustle, the struggle, the grind. Hustle, make the decisions, put forth the effort to go where you think you want to be. The struggle is when you get to that point, that mountaintop of, I think I'm here, I think I've arrived, but I have this last 10% that we have to overcome, right? And the grind is now we're on now we're doing the thing we want to do. And for me, I spend a lot of time in that struggle because I consistently hustle. And when I'm on the grind, I enjoy the moment, but then I'm hustling again. So there's always these constant struggles. As an entrepreneur, I still have payroll. That's a fact. Four years ago, when we were in our business, payroll was about $2,000 every other week. And I dreaded it. I worried about it. I thought about it from the Friday we cleared payroll until two weeks later, you knew when the Friday was that hit payroll, you looked at your bank accounts and you made sure on Thursday afternoon you had enough to cover. I've had payroll as high as $200,000 over two weeks with a business I was part of and I struggled them. And even today, I know when payroll is. I know when it's a payroll week. I know where my bank accounts are at and I don't think that goes away. If you have employees, your number one fiduciary responsibility is to compensate those individuals that are on the journey with you and putting in the time and effort. It's not about the shareholders at that point. It's not about our other investors. It's not about my brother and I and the owners. It's about the stakeholders. It's the people that put the blood, sweat, and tears in. And so I still consistently think about payroll. And that's a fact, right? On a personal level, I'm a single father. And I love being a father. And I actually love being a single father. Because when I do have time with Penny, it's our time. I can give her my all. If I had my daughter full-time, I don't know that I would give her the quality of time that I give her when I have her on a limited basis. That is a struggle. And then the third area of my life is with veterans. And I talk a lot about veteran entrepreneurship, veteran empowerment, working with veterans, being a leader among the veteran community. But I've been there on the nights where vets have called me and I've had to go to their house in the middle of the night. I took a vet to behavioral health. I've been with vets as they were being arrested. I've done that. And the same token, I've been the veteran that had to disassemble my nine mil in my house because I didn't trust myself with a weapon in my house. I've been there. And I'm transparent about it. It's not great, but I'm open and honest. And so I think what's interesting 
is the people, the more honest you are, the more you own your story, the less you talk about it. For me, the more I talk about my struggle, the more I own it, the better I feel about, you know what? Yeah, I was there at that time in my life. I found a way to get through it. I know no one wants to ask for help, but there's a difference between help and support. And when you support others and you ask for support from others, you've created this transparent relationship with individuals and the collective that people build this tribe, this squad, whatever, around support. And I think that is what resonates with people, is the fact that you have an opportunity as an individual to make an impact. And look at the world today. Everyone wants to do something, but so often we don't know what to do. So I challenge everybody on this call, not only seek support from others, but then also ask others what you can do to support them. And when you have that conversation, that's when you start moving mountains. Yeah, that's very well said. And I feel fortunate because as your friend, as your business partner, I've seen that holistic Andy Wines. I've seen the the entrepreneur. I've seen the business savvy, successful person, but I've also seen the individual like all of us who hurt at times. And it's been nice to take that journey with you for sure. And one of the things that I suppose you probably hear from time to time is when people first meet you based on physical appearance, you look like kind of a scary dude. You got the camo pants on. You guys see all the tats here right now. Obviously you're a tough guy. You got the military background and everything else. But one of my favorite things when I see you post, especially on Facebook, are some of those tender things. It's obvious Penny has you wrapped around her finger. It is obvious you're a world-class father, and Penny is very blessed to benefit from your influence in that regard. One of the things when we were setting up for this conversation, we asked, how did you get to where you are today? And what I loved, it was very succinct. It was three words, hustle, struggle, grind. How do you balance, Andy? It's real simple. I've had ADD since I was in second grade, and they diagnosed me and tried to give me Ritalin and, and give me counseling and all this other stuff. And what I realized is with ADD and even PTSD, they are things that are part of who I am. It's not a question of fixing who I am. It's a question of living with who I am. And so when it comes to being a father, I realize that my phone is one vibration away from taking time away from my daughter. So I do a lot of very simple things. I block out my schedule. People at work, and, and my schedule's wide open. Anybody in our organization can see my entire calendar, and they'll see, oh, Andy's picking up Penny on this date, and he's dropping her off on this date. It's pretty much blocked out, and that's it. So that's the other thing. If I do have things to do, I do it while she's sleeping, you know, or I do it you know, late at night when she's in bed. But the rest of the time, it's time for us. And whether it's simple things like putting my phone on Do Not Disturb, or also the flip side is taking my daughter with me to work. There are pl- she knows the inside is out of my building. She knows the people that work there, she saw my brother one time at Easter and was like, why is your friend, Uncle Ikey, your work friend, Uncle Ikey, at Easter with us? Because she knows him from work. So I've aligned those lives. So when I go to work, she goes to work with me. And she could care less about me at that point. She gets on the whiteboard, she gets on the expo markers, and she does her thing. And she knows, yep, daddy's at work. And I'm hanging out with Megan. I'm hanging out with Steve. I'm hanging out with Uncle Ikey. My mom works there. You know, she's going to hang out with Grandma I. So Penny's part of it. And that's very much how our family was raised. I grew up on a farm in the the summers on my grandparents' farm. I spent my weekends on job sites with my dad. One of my favorite places to go was the landfill and the scrapyard on a a Saturday morning. That was treasure hunting for us. So I grew up digging around landfills and scrapyards. So why wouldn't I bring my daughter? Her favorite thing at work to do is ride the forklift. That was it. So she sits on my lap and we make laps around the yard and she sits and just loves the forklift. That's it. She just wants to sit on the forklift with daddy and be part of 
that life. So those are all very tactical, intentional things I do. And it's different for everybody. But for me, I know, you know, two things. If I'm going somewhere, Penny's coming with me. And if I'm at home with Penny, we don't work. That's it. We're outside. My phone's on do not disturb. We go to the park and I leave my phone at home. I'm very fortunate. I have two parks within walking distance. So we walk and we talk and we hang out. And that's why I can give her that time. And so you said a little bit, the hustle, the struggle, the grind. It is one step at a time. That's how we live our lives, being present in the moment. Why do you think business leaders, entrepreneurs, people in the spotlight should be open, honest, and transparent versus saying, hire me because I'm perfect and I've got everything figured out? Because you can't hide it anymore. There's social media. There's Google. You know, there was a time in business where if you, you didn't know the owner of this company or, you know, the decision maker in that company. Well, if they got a name and, and you got a smartphone in your pocket, you can find things out about people. And if, if all you see is just the highlights, if you see just the PR stuff, if you see posts and, you know, websites that are well written by a marketing company, you see right through it. People do work with people, right? What the stat is, you know, 70% of your buying decisions, the person you're buying it from, or you're buying whatever. 70% of the time you're buying it from the person, not the product. And people want to relate with people. And this idea of a, you know, a perfect CEO or perfect business leader, whatever, it doesn't exist. You know, you keep talking personal brand and, you know, personal brand has been around since the day before ever. You know, it's just your reputation. And what is your reputation? For me, being transparent is what's most important to me. Whether it's complete strangers on LinkedIn or people I've known for 10 years on Facebook say, hey, what you said hit me hard. Actually, I posted on Facebook a couple of days ago with, with, with regard to the riots that are happening across the country. It was a conversation I had with a gentleman I went to high school with. He's African-American, I'm white. And I he put something up on Facebook and I kind of challenged him on it and he challenged me back. And then I took a conversation onto the messenger and he's like, he started, he said, hey, well, what are you doing different, Andy, kind of? And I was like, this is what I think. I don't know, I don't have an answer. We had a conversation after the conversation. He said, hey, can I share this conversation with everybody? He said, absolutely. And now I, you know, I just screenshotted it. And here's a conversation with two people that are both struggling. We're both struggling to understand where do we fit in. And him and I are complete polar opposites on the political front, but we had a conversation. And we had a conversation because for 20 years, we've challenged each other. And I haven't seen him since high school. For maybe the last five years, seven years, what has been on Facebook, we've been willing to challenge each other and be transparent. And because of that, now, I think he's a thought leader. Now he's sharing some ideas with me that maybe he doesn't share with everybody. And now we're having real conversations. And that's what people want. I don't want to sell anything to anybody. I just want to give them my perspective in hopes that I gain more perspective along my journey. Yeah, and one of the things that I've noticed about you during the course of our relationship is not only are you a very good speaker. I mean, if you get Andy Wines revved up, man, you better clear your weekend. He's just going to he's <laughs> just he's just going to keep on going. But not only is Andy a very good speaker, you are an extraordinary listener, which is is something that you don't see all the time. No, I wouldn't agree with that. What would you say are some of the traits that make someone a good listener? And why is that important in the business entrepreneurial community today? I think I, I struggle with it. It is a conscious effort for me to listen. You know, a good salesperson doesn't ever talk. They ask a couple of questions and they sit there and just take it all in. And I've been very jealous of salespeople for being able to do that, to ask a question. They get all the information during that discovery process that they want to receive. 
But what I realized is the more I give, the more I put myself out there, the more that I am transparent, the more people come to me. And then it's simple, right? It's I'm a black and white person. If someone's talking, they're bringing something of value to themselves. And I'm just the catalyst that brings it out. It's my obligation to listen. There are plenty of times and plenty of rooms that I'm in and people are talking and I'm like, wow, what they have to say is so much more interesting than what I'm thinking. Let me just take this in. I love learning, you know, and because of that, there's an opportunity to learn from everybody. My goal every morning is to go as long as I can without talking. And again, this is something people don't probably realize, but probably the last seven seconds. Yeah, <laughs> maybe 12. <laughs> no. I get up in the morning and I go through my day and in a perfect world, I get all the way to work and I haven't heard a thing other than the birds chirp. I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't watch videos. I just get up and I just think about thoughts. Same thing, when I leave work, I'm just thinking about thoughts. I am, I'm on autopilot. I'm just thinking about all the things. So for me, when it comes to listening and thinking, if, if that, be very intentional. If you're gonna be at home and you're gonna be thinking about stuff, right? Take the time, you know, some people meditate. I meditate for two minutes and I get up and start doing something because I'm thinking about what I wanna do, right? But when I'm going through my morning routine, when I'm driving to work, that's when I take the time to think and I listen to myself, Andy, how do you feel about this? And then execute. And then when I'm going through my day, same thing. Just shut it down, Andy. Take it in. If that means I got to put my phone on silent, put your phone on silent. And when you put your phone on silent, put your brain on silent. As in, take the time to actively listen. I struggle. I always want to listen to respond. So when I hear that, me generating responses, like I say, nope, stop. That real-time resilience, stop. Actively listen. And then when the thought is complete, then respond if necessary. And it is a constant battle in my head. What does the morning routine for Andy Wines look like and why does that work for you? It is like seven steps, maybe eight if it's cold out and I got to start my Jeep ahead of time and that's it. It is get up, turn on Keurig, bathroom, make coffee, brush teeth, stir coffee, take a sip, put clothes on, walk out with two pieces of string cheese, cup of coffee, get in Jeep and take on the world. And it's about seven minutes, maybe 10 if it's slow going, that's it. And it is very linear. And I think it's because of the military in you, you learn to do things quick. You know, I eat my couple pieces of string cheese when I'm hungry, that's it. And then once I'm going, it's I'm on. And then it's the opposite cycle on my way home. When I leave work, I typically am on the phone and, I, and I'll stop and get something, to, you know, stop at, you know, Costco or pick and save or wherever, stop and get something to eat maybe. But, you know, and I'll be on the phone the whole way. You know, I know which grocery stores, at what point in the grocery store, the phone cuts out. Costco, you're good the whole way. Pick and save, it's after you get milk on your way back, the, the phone cuts out. But after that, once I put my phone off, it's off. I'm done. I don't check emails after a certain time of the night. And, and that, that's a discipline because when I first was in business, anytime I'll check emails. You know, you think you have to. But when I go home, same, it's a reverse routine. You know, I eat, I, I go through my same exact routine every night before I go to bed. And I go to bed. But that's it. It's the same start and same finish. I've recently learned to make my bed because it's a discipline that I, I didn't have. It's not even in my routine. It's not even hardware in my routine yet. But recently just starting to make my bed because then at the end of the night, you see your bed made and you're like, okay, I did something today. And that goes off of a Navy commander. So little things like that, right? And pick things up along the way. But that's it. I, everything in my life, I want to simplify, even as my morning routine. 
simplify less steps I have a lot of respect and admiration for individuals that were on the front lines, securing our freedoms, securing a lot of the the safety that we enjoy as a nation. So obviously I'd be remiss first and foremost, if I didn't acknowledge you for that and thank you for all your efforts in that regard for individuals that are listening to this episode today that maybe are not as in tuned with the veteran community as you are, what should we know about it? In the last four plus years, four and a half years since I got back from my last deployment, I've gone through, you know, the different progressions of, you know, loss. You know, you go through the five stages of grieving loss when you lose your identity from service member, the guy wearing the boots doing the thing every day, to all of a sudden you're a veteran in the civilian world. And that transformation takes time and it's very intentional. And we struggle. We don't just get off the bird and go back home and put on civilian clothes and say, oh, I'm back to being a civilian. It just doesn't work like that. And so for veterans, the challenge is understand and recognize that you do grieve the loss of your time as a service member. There's there's not a lot of information on what that transformation from service member to veteran looks like. Just one day you're a veteran and you're asked or told to act like a veteran. And then from the civilian front, recognize that this individual is going through change and these change the change, this transformation is buried deep, deep in that iceberg because the veteran community do not see the world the same way as civilians do. We have our own culture. We have our own values, our own beliefs. We have our own language for that matter. And so with what's going on in the world, whether it's our own individual struggles and challenges or with what's going on even today with everything from the the pandemic to the, the riots, we have a very unique perspective We've earned our perspective, no different than everyone else has earned their perspective with what they've gone through in life. And it's going to be very different. And more often than not, when you ask a veteran their perspective, they'll give it to you, good, better, and different. So if you haven't spent time with vets, recognize that we'll humbly keep our mouth shut. But the second you open up Pandora's box, we will defend our position. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of civilians struggle with with veterans like, well, yeah, we like they're on time. We like they're open and honest. But when you when you push veterans, they'll push you back. And there is this sense that we've earned a different perspective because of the challenges we've gone through. And it's not comparable to anything in the civilian world. And so because of that, I don't consider myself a, an advocate for veterans necessarily. I think some people have said that maybe it's on some marketing material. I'm a veteran that likes spending time with veterans. That's what it comes down to. And I'm not, you know, there's some people that are genuinely advocating. You know, they've started nonprofits or they're making changes in the legislative branch of the government. They're doing different things. I just show up every day and I choose to be around veterans because we have this this level of trust right off the bat. And so we don't understand a difference. I was explaining actually earlier today that with civilians, it's like, well, you have to earn trust over time. And we don't understand that. With veterans, as soon as you say, yep, I'm a vet, you know, if it's 100 points of trust, let's call it, you got 100 to start with. That's it. And we don't recognize, why wouldn't you trust me? What have I done to make me not, you know, to make me untrustworthy? With veterans, as soon as you find out someone else served, you're like, all right, cool, you're my guy. That's it. Let's go. And I think that's one of the things that we don't understand in the civilian world, having to re-earn trust or respect because we give it freely to others. And that's where we also get sometimes taken advantage of. We trust organizations. We trust 
leaders or managers within those organizations that don't have our best interest at heart. And veteran to veteran, we always trust each other. And if there's a, you know, the flip side is when there's a veteran that breaks that trust, breaks our culture, our cultural norms, we don't put up with it. We put them out and everybody knows. In the civilian world, when you get put out of a company, there's always that nice email that says, oh, we've come to you know, an understanding or you know, leaving an amicable terms. And we all read through it. The veterans, we use a lot of four-letter words. It's over the phone, maybe over the beer. There's no emails to be had, and everybody knows what happened. Because, again, extremely transparent, good, bad, or indifferent. Obviously, organizations and individuals are going to try to find the best talent available. Why would you say specifically some of these C-suite executives, decision makers, should consider hiring veterans? What what traits do you see that certain veterans possess? And why would bringing a veteran onto your organization be a wise move for some of these companies? Soft skills. You know, we talk about it, we call it embrace the suck. We've been through worse. We've done harder things for longer period of times for less money. And so we are incredibly resilient. And it's the soft skills, resiliency, the soft skills of leadership, the soft skill, calling somebody out, or calling something out when we see wrong. How often do we hear about workplace incidences where everyone saw it, but no one spoke up? Veterans, we don't know the difference. We're on a battlefield, and or you're up against a challenge. You tell it how you see it, because you not speaking up could cost somebody their life. And so we are extremely transparent. We're extremely resilient to change. And we're used to training. We're used to being thrown in new environments. We're used to adapting under pressure. You know, we see a job description. We know, okay, that's the minimum ante. You're going to ask to go up and beyond. I was with a couple of Marines yesterday, and I was like, well, what were your MOSs? The military occupational specialty. And the one was a truck driver, and one was a mechanic. And the one was a, that was a truck driver did three tours overseas, two as infantry and one in artillery. And the other one was a mechanic, did two tours in Iraq. And one time he was doing convoy security, and one time he was doing uh, gate security or physical security or uh, security of the base. So here's two guys with two jobs that the, the Marine Corps said, this is your job. And as soon as you get overseas, it's like, well, that's not your job anymore. So you don't sit there and complain. You say, okay, this is my new job. This is what I do because I've been asked or called upon to do this. And when you hire military personnel, we are adaptable to change. We don't break under pressure. We're transparent. And I wouldn't say we're quick learners, but we've been conditioned to learn. I met with a guy about a week ago we are talking, he's like, yeah, I've been at the same company for 14 years. Wow, 14 years ago, I was a 22-year-old kid in Iraq trying not to die every day, driving a truck and seeing what I get away with. So, you know, my squad leader didn't find me, you know, screwing off. And I was like, 14 years ago, you were at this company doing this thing. I'm like, what have I done in 14 years? Well, I, you know, I got a degree. I've started a business. I've worked for other businesses. I've done all these things in 14 years. And this other person worked at the same company in his third position in 14 years. In the military in 14 years, you can be a first sergeant commanding 200 soldiers. You can be a major in a battalion commanding several hundred soldiers. So we get a lot of responsibility. You have 21-year-old kids, squad leaders that are in charge of 12, 12 individuals. It's a lot of responsibility. How many 21-year-olds would you put in charge of 12 other people's lives? Not just a shift, not just inventory, the lives of individuals, 21-year-olds. And that's where in the military we adapt and we overcome quick, fast, and a hurry because we choose that life. 
So help me figure this out. I have no doubt. Of all of the things you could be doing, why Green Up Solutions? Why this business that offers this service at this time? It's just in my blood. My great-grandfather owned a salvage yard on Richard Street, just north of Capitol in Milwaukee. It's absolutely in my blood. I've worked for other small businesses. I'm in the military still. I work for corporate America and work for a few five, Fortune 500 companies. And there was always something more. I could feel it. It just, I was always fighting somebody else's battle. And finally, you know, six years ago, my brother and I wrote Green Up Solutions on a cocktail napkin in my parents' house. And that was it. We wrote it. We said we we're going to do it. And, and here we are. And I love it because even in our building, it feels like we call it Pee Wee's Playhouse because we do whatever we want to do. I go to work every day and it's like a second home in a very good way. I work with my brother. I work with my ma. I work with employees that want to be there. We're out in, in, in our battle against landfills and our, in our battle against you know chemical usage, right? We have a known enemy again, and we're out developing our sustainable solutions. There is no end state in what we do. There is no time where we're going to say, well, we've succeeded. No, it's always going to be this mountain to climb. And that to me is incredibly interesting. I haven't had to ask permission for anything in four years. And if what the decision I made was a failure, the market will tell me. But it'll tell me. And I can take it in stride and know I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I got my health and I'm going to move forward once again. And that's for me, being an entrepreneur, there's no greater success. Now, entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. The risk aversion is not for everybody. My brother and I just got paychecks last week for the first time in two and a half years because it just wasn't a priority. And it's good, but it's not about us individually. It's not about our personal wealth or well-being. It's about what we can do as leaders of an organization. And that drives me every day. That's it. I mean, what we do in run to Consulting is interesting. I find it interesting. I find it interesting educating people on different sustainable solutions. But at the core, every day I get to show up to this place called work and put in the time to build something for me today. It's not about legacy. It's not about passing on to my daughter. It's today in the present. I'm in love with the process. You talk about this family connection. So you're working with Ike, your brother. You're working with your mom. Uh, your daughter Penny is running around the office from time to time. It's got this very familial atmosphere to it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Most people will say, you know, don't mix family with business. Uh, that's a dynamic that most people shouldn't explore. You've done it very successfully. What makes that work for you at Green Up Solutions? Well, first off, I'm the majority shareholder and I'm in charge. So that makes it incredibly, <laughs> incredibly simple. But in all honesty, it makes it simple. There was a time years ago that I bought a house with my mom. My dad came in as a partner and my three other siblings all worked on the house together. All six of us in our family, I have an older sister and two younger brothers, all six of us worked on that house together and flipped it. And my mom and I were, well, my mom, dad, and I were all one-third partners and it didn't work. So then my mom and I flipped a house. We were 50-50 partners, still didn't work. And so when we started this business, it was very transparent that you can only have one chief, only one person in charge. So I was in charge from the get-go. My youngest brother, nine years, my junior, was my business partner, which was convenient because you know I've always been older and always been smarter. He's catching up. He's taller than me, but I'm better looking. So, you know, we, we figured it out there. I'm in charge and my brother has ownership in the business, not just on a piece of paper, but also in the mindset. He's been with me since day one of this business. And then my mom and dad came in as investors and they were the first ones that invested in us. 
And I told them the goal here is eventually we're going to take this money you're giving us. We're going to build this business so you can quit the job that you hate. She had a job at the time. And, you know, a year and a half after we said that, she quit her job. And for the last two and a half years, she's been working for us. And she comes and goes as she pleases. And it's a steady paycheck. And it gives her a sense of duty and responsibility without the heartache and headache. If she's going on vacation, she reports to nobody. She's coming in earlier, you know, leaving early or coming in late, leaving early. No one to report to. She likes that. But she also has that sense of responsibility that, well, when she's not there, certain things don't get done. And there are things that we rely on her for. So it's because we have clearly defined roles. And, you know, some people in your family you're not going to do business with. There's some friends you can't do business with. And so being transparent and open and honest in the front end, I have tried to make it work. This is a thing that I've had to learn over my life. There is a difference between it works and making it work. And that's in processes, that's in products, that's in people. The goal is, if you find yourself in a conversation where you say, well, we're making it work. Well, that means by definition, it does not work. So you got to fix those things. And if you have that mindset when it comes to personnel, when it comes to products, when it comes to processes, you'll be successful. Where does your passion for the environment come from? Have you always been passionate about environmental causes or did that sort of develop later in your life? No, day one. I did my seventh grade recycling or my seventh grade science fair project on recycling and visiting. I mean, I told you about growing up in landfills and scrapyards. That absolutely, I remember how excited I was to visit the landfill. And I find myself 20 years later when I was down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, studying their waste to energy program that they had and also their desalination plant where they turned salt water into fresh water. I am forever frugal, I guess is the way to look at it. I look at our society as we use and use and use and use all these resources. Why don't we make better use of the current resources? And if that's because I'm frugal or because I'm cheap or because I grew up you know, poor, I don't know what that is, but make use with what you have. And so I can identify some things going back to you know, driving around the nice neighborhoods on Wednesday nights in Menominee Falls, my dad and picking through trash, looking for precious metals and toys, right? That was, I love doing that. Or with my grandpa, I don't know how many chains he had in the garage, but he had lengths of chain that were, you know, 30 feet and, and two feet and every length of chain was in the garage hanging up. He kept everything and kept twine that was, you know, reused and repurposed a hundred times over. And so you make do with what you have. And I think that's more interesting. I don't think it's interesting to go and buy a new product. I think it's interesting to walk around the warehouse and find something and build it so it works. And so for that, I I like working with what I have. I've never been one that likes a lot of material possessions. I don't need multiple things. Like, you know, I remember at one time in my life, I had a, a Jeep, a car, and a motorcycle because at any given time, one or two of those things were broken down. And finally, I got to the point where I'm like, why don't I just buy one vehicle that works and not have to buy multiple vehicles that may work? Same token here. It's I only need one house. I live in a very modest house. I have one Jeep. I have one set of tools. I, you know, even my camel pants. I have one outfit, right? I got a handful of t-shirts, handful of camel pants. I don't, it's one less decision I got to make. So going back to the environment piece, it's, it's make it simple. We have all this energy and resources around us. And so easily people throw them away. And there's an analogy to that too with life. You know, it's so easy with social media right now to go find something better. The grass is always greener. Well, you know what? Water your own yard. Take care of what you got first. And then build up big fences if you have to to protect what is yours instead of being so easy to replace all the things you got in this world. 
So some good advice for sure. Very good conversation. Very good takeaways for myself and our listening audience. So Mr. Wines, if you're open to it, what I'd like to do is quickly introduce you to the lightning round. Question number one, who was the most famous person you've ever met? The Offspring, the band. I mean, I used to work in radio, so I met a lot of bands. Offspring was pretty big in the day, so I think that would certainly count. One thing people would be surprised to learn about you. I like poetry. Count me surprised. <laughs> Is there a particular poet no. that you like more than anybody else? I like reading it. I like writing it. Okay. All right. Well, see, he was a poet and didn't even know it. How about that? If you had one final meal, what would it be? Your, what would your last meal be? My grandmother's hamburger and noodles. So my grandmother made a dish. I actually made it two nights ago. It is ground beef, elbow macaroni, and mushrooms. That's it. And it is it is to die for. It's delicious. Sounds outstanding. Last question I have for you. If they made a movie starring Andy Wines, who would play you? I would play myself. <laughs> you know, be your own guru. I'm going to steal lines right out of Dylan Ali. Be your own guru. No one can be better than you at being you. All right. I like that lightning round. That's fun. Is there anything, Andy, we didn't cover that you wished we would have? Anything else you want us to talk about now while we still have some time? Hello, I guess the, the biggest takeaway I'll give to your audience is, you know, be good to each other, be good to yourself. And if you find yourself in that moment of struggle, or even before you find yourself in that moment of struggle, reach out to somebody. You know, I talk to strangers every day on LinkedIn primarily and on Facebook. Don't hesitate to reach out to, to myself or anybody else for that matter. Is now more than ever, you know, with all this stuff going on in the world, it's important that people have each other's backs. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts.